Good evening, everybody, or morning, or whatever time it is where you are. I don't know why I said evening. Already off to bad start. Wow. <laughs> I am Miguel, joined here with Ben and Caitlin. How are you guys doing? Great. Hello. Good. All right. So these are not the normal hosts. Uh, Charlie and Haley are both on their one-month sabbaticals. So, oh, wow. Yeah, at the same time, right? So they kind of like left me high and dry, but that's okay because <laughs> I have friends. Yeah, at ConvertKit, if you've been with the company for at least five years, you get to treat yourself to a one-month sabbatical, which is pretty rad. So they definitely deserve it. So I'm glad they're taking some time off. So today on The Future Belongs to Creators, we're going to be talking about balancing mental health and specifically balancing that along with meeting, setting goals, things like that. But before we get into all that, we are going to go into our first little segment that we like to call Have You Heard? And I will go ahead and kick us off. So the Have You Heard that I wanted to bring up was, have you guys heard that content creators can now buy insurance for their Instagram accounts? Oh, whoa. I have not heard that. Is it insuring like if they get hacked? Yeah, like what is that? Yeah, what is it exactly is it insuring? That is a good guess. And you're right. So the way that it works is so there's this company that's for, out of Israel. It's a startup called Notch, N-O-T-C-H. And they have a solution for like Instagram insurance policies. So for eight bucks a month, they provide account insurance for creators. So for those with insurance, your account, if it's hacked, and you lose access, Notch will pay you a stipend to help you regain control of the account. I don't know exactly how having extra money helps you regain it, I guess. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs of it, but apparently, yeah. I wonder if that's like if if they hack your account and there's some kind of like ransom, do they help you pay the ransom? Yeah. Or do they help you kind of like block them out and then regain control. I don't know exactly. I was going to say, I wonder if it's like they basically like store all of your posts. Like they basically are just, hmm. you're giving them full access to your Instagram for them to save on their database. So like if it's like hacked and you know, it's like the buy Ray-Bans for nine ninety nine, like whatever <laughs> hack, that's the one I see the most when people's Instagrams get hacked. Yeah. It, it like restores all of your old posts like unscathed. I don't know. Yeah, what well, kind of an idiot buys $9 Ray-Bans? Yeah, I fell for that once. They were super trash. Wow. Super trash. Yeah. Not surprised. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> thanks, Ben. Uh, so, all right. I think, Caitlin, you also have a have you heard. What do you got for us? Yeah. Have you all heard of creators.google? It's kind of confusing. It's like mainly a blog center of like creator stories or not like our creator stories, not like convertkit creator stories, but it's like, I just typed it in and it has like this thing where it's like, it helps you with your YouTube content and revamping your YouTube page. It's kind of like this like community area for creators on Google specifically. Well, I know that Google or specifically YouTube, because I had a YouTube channel in the past, they have a lot of content about how to help you make better videos and things like that. So maybe that's like a section of the creator's thing. But I didn't know it was like an actual page. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I'll have to check it out after this. Yeah. And it's not google.com. It's creators.google. That's it. Hmm. Yep. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. They got like all kinds of blog posts in here about things like shifting your focus to avoid burnout, how to take your blog to the next level, creator makeovers, whatever that is. I don't know. It's, this is... I'm just looking at it for the first time. This looks pretty cool. Wow, Google is copying us. I know. Can we sue them for this? Like, yeah, yeah, we can sue them. Wait, do we have insurance on, on our business? <laughs> I only have Instagram insurance, not, oh. not the other insurance thing. Oh. <laughs> That's where they get you. Yep. 
<laughs> All right. Thank you, Caitlin. That's actually pretty cool. I'll have to check that out. So Ben did not have one for us. So we will move along and just pretend like he did. <laughs> Sorry, I had to call you out. So anyways, <laughs> we'll move on. So on to our main topic today. So balancing mental health and goal achievement. So I kind of wanted to kind of start us off by kind of asking you all some questions. I would thought maybe it would help if we shared some, you know, personal experience. And uh, I know like, you know, we talked about in the past, Ben, you've been on the podcast before and you've talked about your previous uh, ventures as a creator. So I'm sure you you feel this a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know, uh, Caitlin, one of the reasons that we decided to talk about mental health is because you're also really passionate about mental health in general and, you know, work-life balance and all that stuff. So, So let's start off with Something real simple. So do you guys have any current goals right now and how like mental health is playing into that pursuit? Maybe I'll go first. So one of my goals right now, let's see, I have a little cello in the background, if you can see. Yeah. I've been playing cello for a couple of years, which is very interesting because it's probably the hardest instrument out there. <laughs> I play guitar. I've played the flute, the violin. Uh, violin is just as hard as the cello, actually. Any stringed instrument is very difficult. And so it requires a lot of consistency which just like a side hustle or a business, you have to be consistent in order to have success. And so that's actually why I'm really happy we're doing this particular topic because not everyone has a side hustle. A lot of people are still in like the incubation phase, like maybe they're just doing hobbies and thinking, man, maybe this calligraphy could turn into a side hustle eventually. And being able to manage your mental health with your hobby right now is kind of like the training ground. So that way, when you do kind of make that leap, if you decide to and start maybe charging for services or products, that kind of steps things up a little bit and it makes it like you have more skin in the game. So there's more stress involved. So if you can really kind of manage that stress in the beginning, then it makes things a lot easier. Like the cello for me, I'm never going to be a professional cello player. I started way too late in my life. I was started like I was 35, something like that. I'm 37 now. So it, it will always be a fun endeavor for me, but it's definitely something I think about a lot because when I don't practice my cello and I have a cello lesson, holy cow, do I get stressed. It's, <laughs> I don't like lighting my teacher down. Do you feel like you're out of practice when you, like if you stop for a while longer than you should and you pick it back up, do you feel like you're going to slid back a couple of steps? Yeah, definitely. And also with the cello, it's not like the guitar where you can just pick it up and you can play. I know Miguel plays the guitar and you just pick it up and you can just like play songs and it's just easy. With a cello, you're not good until you've been practicing like at least 20 or 30 minutes like warming up. Then you start getting better and then you kind of have to practice like four or five days a week in order to like kind of maintain and, and grow. Any less than that and you won't. But this is not a cello podcast. I go on for hours about it. <laughs> Caitlin, what sort of goals and stuff do you have? You know what? Forget the topic. We're just going to speak about cellos forever. <laughs> Great. I know so much about cello. <laughs> How about you, Caitlin? Let's see. So um, I feel like two goals that I'm like kind of working towards right now is I recently got a keyboard. So also in the in the music realm of I played when I was little. Like a QWERTY keyboard or no? No, like a, a piano keyboard. I'm great at typing. I don't need any more <laughs> practice on that. I recently got a piano and I played when I was younger. So I totally feel the like when you don't practice and go to a lesson, you're like, oh, they're going to know I didn't practice. Especially when you're little there, you know, it's like homework to you also. So I am trying to pick that back up without in-person lessons for now. Although I think that that will probably be in my future at some point. 
I don't know if I have any like specific goals around it. I just like, I used to be very, very into music. I went to school for recording and music business. And so it's just something I want to get back into. Um, I think so like not making money off of it, but just like enjoying myself, maybe recording a song or two for loved ones. I know my parents would love it if I did that. (laughs) And then another goal of mine is, you know, over the pandemic, a lot of us stopped going to the gym and I was really into powerlifting prior to the pandemic. And so I'm really trying to get back into that. I have my Peloton, which you can see a little bit of behind me, which has been at least getting me moving again, which is really good for mental health in general, especially for me. Yeah. Just like getting back into it, feeling strong, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Miguel, do you have like hobbies? I think you do carpentry, right? He dabbles. Yeah. Well, my relationship with my hobbies is like informed by the fact that I know myself Mm. and I kind of like him an all or nothing kind of person. So I really like feeling states of flow and I really like just like feeling like time goes away and I blink and five hours have gone by. And like, I love that feeling of just like doing that. And that's something that I get when I do, when I do that stuff. But since I know that about myself, I also have to be careful about when I start projects because I know once I start them, I will like be like pretty engulfed by that work. And I tend to ignore other things that are responsibilities. So I like I save projects for the weekend and things like that. I try not to work during the week because then I find it's a little difficult for me to focus during the week on my responsibilities or I'll forget to, you know, do some of my responsibilities around the house. And then my wife will be upset with me because like, hey, there's a lot of dishes or whatever. And it's like it's on me to do those. And I'm just like covered in sawdust. And I'm like, oh, haha. Oh, yeah, dishes. I forgot that I'm supposed to participate in my household. (laughs) Because of that, I also get apprehensive about starting projects because I'm like, I know that about myself and I'll be reluctant to start something because once I start, I find it hard to stop until it's completed. Like, I don't like leaving things half done. I'll like forget to eat while I while I work and I I get really productive, but I start crossing the line into unhealthy habits sometimes. And so I have to kind of reel myself back in or my wife has to reel me back in sometimes. Mm, That makes sense. I want to take advantage of uh, the fact that I have both of you here because whenever I do a podcast and have a guest, although I'm the guest on this podcast, I guess I'm (laughs) trying to take it over from you, Miguel. I like to like, like learn some stuff. So I'm going to ask you both a question and hopefully not only will I learn, but everyone else will learn. So I don't know if you guys have read the book called The War of Art. It's by Stephen Pressfield. I read it like years and years ago. But in this book, he talks about being a creator and that you're oftentimes going against something he dubs the resistance. Like, so like whenever you think, oh, I should be painting right now. I should be playing the piano. I should be creating a staircase or whatever Miguel does on the weekends. (laughs) Like there's like some resistance there uh, from doing that. So tying this into mental health, first of all, one, have you felt that resistance in your various hobbies and creative endeavors? And two, does pushing past that resistance increase your stress or decrease your stress? Hmm. So I can chime in for me. Also, sorry to everyone who's listening. I am a very open book when it comes to my own mental health journey, which is why I'm so passionate about it. But I struggle with depression. And so the best way to describe that is like, it's like, there's so much cognitive dissonance there of like, I know doing these hobbies would absolutely make me feel better Mm. but i feel a lot of resistance when like if i'm an object in motion stays in motion 
you know, if I'm not in motion, then like, it is really hard to like, get myself going. And so I definitely feel that resistance where I'm like, well, you know, it's just easier to kind of sit here and watch Netflix or whatever. But doing the thing, doing the thing that I feel resistance to, like 9.9 times out of 10 always makes me feel less stressed. I'm like, oh, I did it. And that was actually pretty fun. And that was great. And then of course, you know, you dive into like comparing yourself to your old self, especially when it comes to powerlifting. I'm just like, oh, well, I can't lift as much as I used to. I'm I kind of suck and blah, 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 blah. I don't, I don't even know why I keep going. And then I'm like, oh, right. You keep going so you can get better at things. So for me, it's like, yeah, I definitely feel the resistance more often than not. And then when I push myself to actually do the thing, I always feel better. So would you say that like your resistance, like, or your stress, anxiety, whatever kind of climbs until you start taking the action of doing the thing and pushing past resistance. Yep. And then once you do that, it maybe lowers overall or maybe lowers a lot, maybe lowers a little bit. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, totally. I think like I can take the easy, the easy way out. I kind of call it like listening or giving into to my depression of just being like, mm. nah, I'm just gonna do the, the couch potato thing tonight or whatever. And then the stress builds because I'm like, no, don't be an idiot. Like, come on, go do the thing you wanted. Like you've wanted to do this. You told yourself you wanted to do this, go do it. And instead of, you know, like the stress builds because I end up beating myself up about not doing the thing. So then when I do the thing, Mm. it's like, okay, relief. I think I'm kind of more similar to that. I'm kind of curious what Miguel says, because it sounds like he saves his hobby times for the weekend because he's looking forward to it. So uh, do you have the same sort of, I don't even know if you have resistance, Miguel. My relationship to that is I am a little bit of a procrastinator. I think most people are. And I have found that the things that I procrastinate the most are the things that I'm not sure about how to proceed. If the path ahead of me isn't clear, I decide to do other things that have a much clearer path instead. Mm. And then what happens is like I trick myself into feeling productive because I did all these other things, but I like very much went out of my way to ignore the thing that I should be doing or should I've prioritized before any of those things because that thing is difficult to see how to, you know, make progress on it or you know it's not as clear. So I'll just do a bunch of mindless tasks to trick my mind into thinking that I, you know, was very productive. And then I look at my to-do list and I did five things that were not on the to-do list. And then the four things that I put on my to-do list, none of them get checked off. So then I look at the to-do list. I'm like, did I do anything today? It's like, well, I was busy for three hours. And it wasn't like I was just like watching Netflix for three hours. Like I was doing stuff. I just didn't do any of the things that I set out to do. Mm. So that's kind of where I struggle with that. But when it comes to like, in terms of like creativity, like, like you said, I kind of save it for when I know I have big blocks of time because one of my favorite things about being creative is like getting into that flow state, like I said, and time just like disappears. And I get really grumpy when I'm interrupted mm. during those times because I hate losing that state of flow, you know? So if I just am right getting in the middle of something and then I suddenly realize, oh yeah, I have to do this thing or, you know, something makes it so that I have to stop doing it. It's just very disruptive to me. And I like to minimize that possibility as much as I can. Hmm. So then we just went through, or we're kind of the tail end of a pandemic, but there was hardcore pandemic for like a year and a half, two years, which was super stressful. And just like Caitlin, I fell off on some of my mental health things that I do. 
to like keep me stable. Miguel. I think everyone did. <laughs> yeah. But I'm curious, Miguel, did you, um, because like, were you still doing like woodworking or I don't even know what other hobbies you got? I know you play guitar and stuff like that. So in Apex Legends. Yeah. Well, I dove real hard into just like hobbies and like things that are, I would normally consider self-indulgent because mm. the opportunities that I had to like go out to dinner with my family or friends or like travel somewhere or like the options to do things outside and connected with other people like dwindled so much that like it gave me like permission, I guess, or the excuse to just like turtle and just self-indulge a lot. So what that meant for me is I just went super hard on like woodworking projects and like to the point where I like, I reached a point where I stopped woodworking for a while because I had burnt myself out on it. Like I didn't, hmm. like, I just didn't want to do it anymore. Like, you know, like if you, if there's something that you really like and there's a reason that you don't get to do it as much as you do, it's almost like this carrot that you're always chasing. And like, it's sort of like this unattainable part of it that whenever you get it, it means something. But when I just had a lot of time and I had a lot of opportunity to do whatever the hell I wanted, I kind of hit a wall and I was just like, well, I don't look forward to doing it as much anymore because like, I sort of just like went real hard on it for a long time. Hmm. Uh, did you guys have a, any similar experience to that or maybe not? I went hard on watching too much TV and playing <laughs> a lot of Fortnite and neither of which I'm burnt out on. But I know what you mean. Like, I get that way. I feel like this is not related to achieving anything, but like I get that way with food where I will be like so obsessed with the food that I like that I eat it over and over and over again. And then I like get burnt out on it. And I'm like, I never want to look at that ever again. <laughs> so it hasn't happened with hobbies, but has happened with food. <laughs> I'm wondering something that came up, a question that came up for me. So like with woodworking, a, I'm assuming not easy skill to just like pick up and be immediately good at as well as cello, an instrument that is extremely difficult to learn. How have you all balanced like not being good at something when you start and getting over that hump of feeling like kind of like trash? You're like, I'm never going to be good at this thing. It's so hard. I don't want to keep practicing because that's something that I have a really, really hard time with. That's like the reason I've never learned guitar is because I've picked it up and I'm like, I'm just not that good at it. And I've like kind of just given completely let go of hope of ever learning guitar for that reason. So how have you all like dealt with the mental health aspect of not being good and like continuing to push yourself to work at it to get good? I love this question. And I have a real simple answer and it might sound a little hokey, but it is true if not played out. And that is like, so the problem with like people who are trying to learn guitar or any real skill, let's use guitar as an example, would they know what a guitar sounding good sounds like? So in your mind, you're like, I want to be able to do that. So your mind jumps from where you are now to what you want to be and what your goal is. So your mind hears a good guitar and they're like, I want my hands to do that. And then you pick up a guitar. And then for some reason, the human mind is like, you strum the guitar. It sounds like crap. And then you're like, well, this isn't for me. You know, like you're instantly let down because you don't sound like the way that you want to sound. And it's really just something just as simple as if you think about it a little bit more before you ever touch a guitar, before you ever start the thing, if you are more realistic about what the goals are and, you know, like 
Thomas Edison famously said, like, you know, I didn't fail at making a light bulb a thousand times. I just found out a thousand ways how to not make a light bulb. Mm. And it's like that kind of thing where like every time that you pick up the guitar, you are running into a mistake or something that doesn't sound good. And then now you're teaching yourself how not to do that. You're teaching yourself how not to make that mistake, how not to put your finger on the wrong fret or make it buzz because you're not arching your fingers enough Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And then little by little, you're working the kinks out. And that's how you refine the process to get a better end result. Like the first thing I ever made out of wood is a table that I still have in my house and I can't throw it away because I love how shitty it is. It's like, it's so bad. And I look mm. at it and I'm like, <laughs> look at all these mistakes I made. It doesn't even look that good, but it's still pretty sturdy and it does its job. And I could make a much, much better table now in much less time. And that's because I have found out so many ways how not to build a table from failing so many times. Mm. How about you, Ben? Have two quick lessons on this one. Uh, so I'll try and make them as quick as I can because they're interconnected. The first one I learned during my side hustle of I had a podcast for a long time called the Shut Up Brain Podcast. Essentially, I decided I was putting out episodes. I was getting like a dozen listeners, if that, like 10, 20 listeners. And I was like, wow, this is like, I'm putting a lot of effort into this and I'm not getting any return in this investment. So at some point I was like, should I just stop this thing? I was like, no, I got to like commit to this. So I was like, I will just like reevaluate whether I should continue doing this after a hundred episodes. And once I reach a hundred, I can say, okay, this was worth my time or it was not worth my time. But until then, I'm not going to judge my success or failure. And after that point, I kept recording episodes, kept getting like no listeners. And it wasn't until like about 60 episodes in and including one rebrand that like, things started to take off and they started taking off in like an exponential way. I highly recommend people check out just like really learning compound interest because like any sort of compounding effect and Caitlin's into finance, it is so powerful and it's really hard as a, for us as humans to understand how powerful it is. So that's my one tip is to just set an evaluation point somewhere in the future and then don't judge into that point. And the second thing, real quick story is Before the pandemic, I was doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a few years and I was going to class and hating it. (laughs) Like it was really hard. I was getting beat up all the time, like from like people that were way smaller than me (laughs) and like it just sucked. (laughs) And I realized that one day I was like, man, I'm just like, I'm hating going to class. So it's like, why am I doing this thing that I hate? And so at that point, I decided to do an experiment where I made a concerted effort to try and fall in love with the process of practice. And I'm not perfect at this yet, but it is something that really helped with jujitsu and it also really helps with cello as well too, just to fall in love with practicing because both with cello and jujitsu, like I'm never going to be world-class in either one of those things. And so the majority of my time is going to be spent practicing, not performing. And so I need to learn to love the practice point rather than some far off date where I perform some concerto or like win in a tournament or something like that. So those are my two little stories. I love that. Thank you both for sharing. Yeah. Caitlin, you got anything on compound interest for us? Yeah. (laughs) For those of you listening, she does all the finances 
for a convert kit. So that's why I'm saying <laughs> the only thing I was going to say about compound interest, which goes to a, a conversation we were having in Slack a little bit ago, is that I wish I understood it before I went to college. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> took out student loans. <laughs> wish oh, I understood boy. that concept, but here I am in finance <laughs> 14 years later or whatever. And I understand it all too well. Mm -hmm. The prize at the end of your education is that uh, you get to regret the choice that you made for the last four years. <laughs> Financially, at least. Yeah. Oh, no. Just across the board. I'm sure you enjoy the interview. <laughs> all right. This is getting dark. Let's really back in here. Yeah. Let's, let's move on. Oh, man. Yeah. I will say, like, I can definitely relate with what Ben was saying, especially about falling in love with the process especially with something like woodworking, like even something small as like a small little end table. At first, it will require a lot of work and it won't come out very well. At the end of the day, the reason you started was because like, oh, I have a need. I have a need for this end table. I'm going to make one. But the point wasn't to have an end table. If that was the point, I could have just bought one, probably for a lot less stress and a much better build quality and oftentimes cheaper than if I would have just built it myself. <laughs> right. So like, where is the actual upside of doing it myself? And then you have to, you know, figure that out for yourself. For me, it's, I enjoyed learning how to do it. I like the fact that I can make something custom to the exact specifications that I want, instead of having to go to 15 different stores to find the one that fits the space, I can just build something that fits perfectly there. And that's why I'll maybe go through the hassle of building it instead of just, Paying, going to Goodwill and spending $12 on an end table or, or, or going to Target and spending $40 for a really crappy table. A particle board, yeah. Spoiler alert, Target furniture sucks. So <laughs> That actually reminds me, Miguel, like I was listening to the, the Huberman podcast or Huberman. Mm -hmm. You guys familiar with this guy? Mm -hmm. He's like, a, he's not a neuroscientist. But he's like, maybe he is a neuroscientist, but he like works in Stanford or something. He's a super smart guy. Go check out the Superman podcast. He has one on dopamine that mm -hmm. I just absolutely love because he really dives into the nitty gritty of like how dopamine works in your body. And one thing that really stood out about that podcast, I think echoes both what Caitlin and Miguel have said is he said that if you're doing something difficult, if you're kind of striving to improve in some way, that is a process that can release dopamine in a good way but it's dependent on how you view it. The example he used is like, if you love running and you go run a 5K or 10K, that's like a lot of effort you're putting out. That releases a significant amount of dopamine. But if you hate running and you do that same 5K, 10K, then it will not release nearly as much dopamine, if any at all. And so that is something I repeat to myself often when I am like playing cello, I've been playing for like, 40 minutes. I still have like 10 more minutes to go. And I'll think, you know what? I'm in a, a point of striving right now. And if I view it like that, then that literally triggers my body to release dopamine. It honestly makes me feel better almost immediately. And so I would say that if you're trying to push through some resistance, if you're trying to bust out that last rep or do that last few minutes on the Peloton, Kaylin, or like <laughs> stand that last little corner, Miguel, I don't know what you do with woodworking. Like you can be like, I'm striving right now. Don't talk about things you know nothing about, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you're embarrassing yourself. I'll stop it. <laughs> Hilarious. Thank you both for sharing that. I think that is helpful. And I think, I think especially with piano, it will, mm. that will be a super helpful thing because like, I'm not going to be able to play 
the first song that I try and play, you know, like I'm not going to pull up sheet music and be like, Oh, I can play this perfectly and sing along and do the whole thing. And like remembering like, okay, you're working towards a goal, fall in love with the process. That will be helpful. Yeah. The interesting thing about dopamine is that people always think like dopamine is like, Oh, it's how your brain rewards your body for doing something. And it makes you want to do it again because it wants that dopamine hit. But the interesting thing about dopamine is that it doesn't just function as a reward system, but it also functions as an incentive system, Hmm. which I Hmm. thought was really interesting. I just heard about this. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting because like they did a study. I don't even know who I've told this. So I apologize if you've heard me even say it on this podcast before, but they did an experiment with rats where they removed the dopamine centers release of their brain. So their, their body does not release dopamine and they would put food in front of them and the rats would literally starve to death because Mm -hmm. they did not have the dopamine to motivate them to eat if they put the food right in front of their mouths to the point there was like basically touching your mouth then they would eat it because it's there they don't have to do anything they just have to like open their mouths and eat it but if it's literally a few inches away they will just stare at the food and starve to death because they don't have a mechanism in their body that says hey if you do this i will reward you because we need you to do this yeah so it's just it's interesting because we all have all kinds of different mechanisms and we have different relationships with dopamine from person to person and the way that we consume social media fucks with our brains and our ability to release dopamine and when it wants to release mm-hmm. dopamine and how it does it and the things that trigger it. And like, you're literally changing the biochemistry of your brain by the actions that you take or don't take. So you have to be kind of mindful. It's like one of those things that we're only starting to get data on about it now because social media is fairly new right. and the effects of social media on the brain and the internet on the brain and this like constantly connectedness, but also weirdly disconnectedness that comes with what the internet is and the pandemic and all that stuff. You throw it all into this like giant, just perfect storm of, we don't know what's happening to our brains and and how that affects us and how that affects children when they're, you know, in their developmental years. And it's just, it's a whole rabbit hole. And that's actually, I'll stop talking about the Hoover podcast, but seriously go check out the one on dopamine because he does talk about what you just said, Miguel is like, like not only is dopamine like, help motivate you to go do something, which is really important. If you spike your dopamine in some way, like with a big night of drinking the night before, or like binging on whatever, whether it be sugary foods or social media, whatever it is, something that really spikes your dopamine for a while, that uses up your dopamine. So not only it goes not just to baseline, it goes to below baseline for I think like 48 hours or something afterwards. And so like the next day, Like if you have super low motivation to do anything, you're just feeling like depressed and whatnot. That's also because your brain just doesn't have the fuel to motivate you. And so that's why if you can do things that don't completely spike your dopamine, but raise it like just a little bit by like striving and working hard and recognizing that that kind of gives you a little boost, but not so much that it's going to like completely cause you to dip down. That's why it's like, man, this whole podcast is so fascinating. So fascinating. Anyway, go listen to it. (laughs) You know, and speaking about this, we actually, um, I had written down here that I wanted to talk about a little bit is, um, and something that I think you brought up too, Ben, your social media diet, right? Mm. And this idea of like what you intake, like we think about diet as like, oh, if I eat too many calories or if I had too much sugar or whatever you think about like food wise, but also like what you put into your brain, like we were talking about right now also affects 
your mood, you know, your dopamine levels, all that stuff. And what we decide to take in and how much we decide to take in and how long those periods that we spend on things like social media all affect our brain chemistry, which therefore affects everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you guys, have you guys found that uh, you've tried to be a little bit more thoughtful about what you consume on the internet? And have you found that that any sort of system that helps you kind of regulate that in some healthy way? I don't know. Kaylin? Yeah. So I'm not totally off social media. Um, but the first time I like really noticed social media, like having an effect on my mental health was in 2016. And I am not going to go down a political road, but on Facebook, you know, it was oh, yeah. a shit show. It's well documented. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty terrible. And I was like, why am I consuming? Like, I don't care about what any of these people are saying. Like, I care about what some of my friends are saying, of course, but like, this is not good for me. Like, that's the first time I noticed that I was like, I literally would open my computer, press F in my browser and Facebook would just come up. Like every morning it was like, you know, drink my coffee, check my morning emails, go to Facebook. And that was the first time I noticed that it was like, not good for me. And so I just deleted it. I just deleted my Facebook and I have one now, but it's only for Facebook marketplace so I can get deals on <laughs> furniture and whatever else I need. But I don't have like any posts or follow anybody or anything like that. So I moved over to only Instagram, which <laughs> whatever it's, the, I guess the slightly lesser of two evils. And I was like, okay, I'm only following dog accounts and meme accounts basically. And, and even that, like, you know, it bled over into, I started following fitness influencers And started getting really down on myself of, you know, one, not like having the idea to be an influencer on my own and make ridiculous amounts of money being a creator in that sense. But then also, of course, like when you're following fitness influencers, when you are into fitness, you're like, oh, they're way better than me. Oh, blah, blah, blah. They're way fitter than me. They even look better than me. You know, all of that stuff. In comparison, just gets so bad. And so... I unfollowed a bunch of those people and like kept it only to only to the basics, the memes, the friends, the dogs. <laughs> but over the pandemic, it was just like, pick up phone, don't even think about it, open Instagram. Like, mm-hmm. like I would go to check the weather or something on my phone. And instead of doing what I actually picked up my phone to do, I would just go straight to Instagram. And I was spending just so, so, so much time on it, like sitting on the couch watching TV, also simultaneously on Instagram. And so like I still have my Instagram account. It's active, but I don't have it on my phone because it's just, it consumes too much all the time. And like, if I do want to pursue these goals of learning something, you know, learning the piano or lifting or whatever, there's just not a lot of room for social media, like in my like mental space. How about you, Ben? Yeah, no, I mean, it's an attention hog. I mean, they're literally designed to keep your eyeballs on it as long as possible. And they do a very good job at it because a lot of people work real hard to make it exactly what you're describing, which is like Mm. distracting and just intention sucking. How about you, Ben? I historically do not have a good track record of quitting things. (laughs) I'm glad I never started smoking or anything like that. Otherwise, I would (laughs) be smoking until the day I died. Like I try to avoid things that like can be like that. Because I know that about myself, I did an experiment recently that did help me, 
but in a different way. I had a, a challenge, like a 30-day challenge where I played cello every day. And this was really helpful in a variety of ways. One, because it forced me to organize my time. So I had less time to spend consuming like bullshit on the internet. And two, it also made me feel a lot better about myself because 15 days in, 20 days in, I'm like, dang, I've been doing this for a while. And like, I felt good about myself, which is why I think like some of the common advice out there is if you are, if you're struggling in life, go to the gym or something like that, or be active because that starts to build self-efficacy. It makes you start to feel good about yourself. It's definitely not a cure-all or anything like that, but I say getting better at anything. It doesn't have to be physically at the gym. It could be like raising up plants. It could be like sanding the floor, like Miguel does, like whatever, whatever it might be. <laughs> That's what I do. I sand the floor. <laughs> Caught me. Were you, were you spying on me? Uh, we're fully remote at ConvertKit, but Miguel is our floor sander. <laughs> yeah, I travel from home to home. But yeah. All right, guys. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I could talk about mental health for a long time. Mm-hmm. I want to try and leave everybody with some kind of an actionable item. Mm. And we've talked about social media and, you know, things that take our attention away and what the things that we struggle with. And one thing that always is or always really helps me when I get frustrated when I'm not meeting my goals is that I try to remember that, like, if I'm at the bottom of a pyramid and I'm looking at the top and my goal is to stand on top of that pyramid and there are steps to get to the top of the pyramid. So there are literally steps I could take to get to the top. Hmm. But I get frustrated after three steps that I'm not already at the top. So then I just quit and then hop off the thing. And I try to remember that if we break things up into little pieces, i.e. steps, and as long as we're making forward momentum or we're learning how not to step, we get better at stepping, we can pick up the pace at which we climb this pyramid. Sometimes... If we get really strong and really good at what we're doing, we can skip a step and step over a step. And now you're going to twice the speed. And so just try to remember to break things down into little pieces, make little goals along the way. So that way you get to celebrate small victories. You get to feel good about the fact that you're moving in the right direction and not saying you're spending less time being not being frustrated that you're not up at the top already. And if it turns out the top of the pyramid is actually just the beginning of another pyramid after that, then Mm. that's okay too. I mean, there's, I think there's a fallacy that we think there's always an end goal. Like we have achieved happiness, but now we can just remain here for 30 years. And you know what I mean? Like there's a happiness isn't a destination. It's just like we said, a process that we can find ways to fall in love with. Well said. Yeah. So totally. All righty. One thing I wanted to shout out this week was something that we hear at ConvertKit too. And that's uh, our friend. And coworker Angel, she does these really great live workshops. And uh, for those of you listening on podcasts, you will be too late for the one that's happening tomorrow, July seventh. But there is another one next Thursday, July fourteenth, which will be the day after you hear this if you're on podcast. And that's at eleven a.m. on Pacific time. And they talk about stuff like earning consistent income with online courses or refining your brand message or unlocking email marketing. And these are live workshops. You can, it's kind of like if you're listening here live, you can ask questions, you can be there with her. She has great guests on. Mm-hmm. If you guys have time, I highly, highly recommend you go. She can be found at convertkit.com forward slash training. I highly recommend you go check that out. Angel is great and she's super fun. And her guests are always 
Great. Yeah, totally. So just wanted to make sure everyone knew that that existed. Other than that, that's it for us today. Thank you for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. Thank you to Ben and Caitlin for filling in for Charlie and for Haley. I really appreciate it. Yes. We'll see you all next week. Thanks. Bye. And I will see everybody later. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey. Thank you.